Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see. The runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia. The power behind your power. Good evening, Jets Nation, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Good evening, Jets Nation, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Jets Radio. This is your host, Tyson Rausch, and we have a, a lot, two very special guests tonight on the show. We have Chris Lupresti from WFAN Radio, and we also have um, Brian McCuster from SNY. So we're looking forward to hearing from both of them. And we have a lot to talk about. You have John Idzik. You have you know, the replacing of John Idzik. You have the replacing of Rex Ryan. You have the comprehensive, comprehensive search that we're going through right now, which you have to be impressed by. Um, so we'll see what happens with this. I mean, there's a lot of names being tossed around. You have Todd Bowles being mentioned as a head coach candidate, Dan Quinn, Frank Reich. I mean, Doug Marone, who's been, he's been mentioned with, the, you know, he's been good and bad, depending on who you ask, if you're a Syracuse graduate or not. So, I mean, it's, it's basically up to you who you think is a good candidate. Today, Mike Francesa came on and was, was talking about how Todd Bowles is an excellent candidate. So it's just, it's a, it's a matter of preference. There's a lot of questions to be asked, a lot of questions to be answered. More importantly, it's, you know, what, what do you consider a good a candidate for a, a, um, a coordinator is, what is their experience? Do they have just position experience? Do they have coordinator experience? You know, are they a good leader? Do they install discipline? Do they install accountability? There's a, there's a lot of things you've got to ask about. So, you know, and then in terms of uh, experienced head coach, you have guys like, you know, do you look at Gary Kubiak? Do you look at, you know, do you look at maybe a Mike Shanahan who before he go to Buffalo? It's just, you know, you could say he's a retread. Is he not a retread? So with that being said, we'll bring on our first caller. It's Seth from Brooklyn, who looks like he wants to talk about the GM search. Seth, this is Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Doing good, man. There is so much news to talk about, and we have two great guests. So I'm this. It's it's interesting time at Jets Nation, man. It is, and actually, I actually want to preface my comments by saying that uh, Chris Lepresti, uh he's probably 
the most underrated or one of the most underrated Jets reporters we have out there. I know people don't speak about him often, but he always delivers, uh, you know, unbiased and quality opinions. So I'm really excited to hear from him. Um, so it's great that you have him on soon. I just wanted to discuss just, you know, my thoughts on how the search has progressed. You know, we've gone seven, eight days now. Uh, and I'm quite happy about that because there was a point in time a couple of days ago where the majority of us thought that the coaching search was going to end with Doug Marone and it was not going to be a thorough uh, search, which made me panic. But luckily, uh, Woody Johnson is listening to Kathleen Wolf and making this thorough. But there's one candidate in particular, specifically on the coaching side, I want to talk about, and that's Doug Marone. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Doug Marone, but the vitriol this guy has received, specifically from the New York Daily News and Manisha Mehta, is unparalleled. I mean, this guy went 9-7 and seven with Kyle Orton as his quarterback. You know the last time the Jets went 9-7? and seven? It was four years ago. And Rex Ryan, this coach we love, and, you know, I love him too, but he didn't get even get to that record for the past four years. If, if Bill Polian loves him, if Bill Parcells loves him, if Charlie Cassidy loves him, and if Ron Wolf loves Doug Marone, then to be quite honest, who are we to question your judgment? Those are four great to really knowledgeable football guys, yet we are just going to lash out at Doug Marone. Now, that, that's not to say he's my favorite candidate, but to say that he's awful, he can't coach in the NFL, is just ridiculous. Well, you know what, you know what it is, Seth? It, the funny thing is it's most of, the, most of the, the, the anger and hatred is coming from Daily News, and they seem to have the same sources. And the funny thing is, is that you know, if you ask a fired, you know, a fired assistant coach you know, their opinion on the guy that fired him, what is he going to say? Negative things. I mean, I was waiting for the Daily News to ask for you know Doug Marone's high school girlfriend. Are you pissed off at him? It seems like they're trying to find every angle to bash the guy. They obviously have sources in Buffalo that are, are, are you know anti Doug Marone, which is fine. But it's 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 very biased now. It's almost embarrassing by the Daily News. It, it's just it's a clear agenda. It's a clear vendetta. You know it's you know. But the thing is, the only concerning thing is though is there's just this much attention for a guy. That's only coached two years in Buffalo. It's not like he's been around the league for you know 15 years as a head coach. To have this much you know drama around him and build up around him, it's almost like he's an average coach at best. You respect what he did at Syracuse. I respect what he did in Buffalo. I mean, the defense was tremendous, better than Rex Ryan's defense. He won with Kyle Wharton. We couldn't win with Geno or Michael Vick. So you give him credit for that. But don't you think, Seth, it's almost too much attention for a very average head coach? Well, that's what happens when a coach is being speculated to joining New York, the biggest media market in the world. So I'm not surprised it's happening here. I'm just surprised it's happening with this individual specifically. And regarding the GM search, just really quickly I wanted to touch on, I just wanted to say that from all the candidates, I really like them all. I think they all have deep and good uh, personnel backgrounds, minus two candidates. That would be Rod Graves because, to be quite honest, he was John Isaac's only hire to be brought into the front office. And no disrespect to Rod Graves, who had that one really good run in Arizona, but otherwise was just a long-tenured average GM. I want nothing associated with this front office for the past two years. And the other one is Bill Curaic, the guy from Cleveland. Um, he was the GM in New Orleans for four years, um, and he was an absolute failure. New Orleans St. Sands hates him. He's the guy that traded all his draft picks to trade up for Ricky Williams. So maybe that's the brief history of his tenure as GM. So if we can just stay away from those two GMs, then we can land one of Mueller, McCagnan, uh, Greyer, um, or uh, Kirchner, I think would be in great shape. So I hope that's one of the four, and we'll see what happens from there. 
Yeah, Seth, I agree with you. And the, the, the encouraging thing about all this is that it's a comprehensive search. They're doing their due diligence, and that's all you could ask. And you mentioned some names. I mean, I mean McCagnan, I mean, Kirshner from Seattle. There's a lot of names out there, but it's a comprehensive search. And they're guys, when you look at it, everybody's got a scouting background and a personnel background. And as a Jets fans, that's all we've asked for this entire time. So, Seth, we got our guests on the line, so I appreciate you calling in. We appreciate the support for the radio show, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and what we'll do now is we'll introduce our next guest, who is, especially on Twitter, this guy is a legend. Uh, he's a WFAN Jets beat reporter. He's a sports update anchor on WFAN Radio and CBS Sports Radio. Uh, it's Chris Lepresti, and on Twitter he's C. Lepresti at WFAN. Chris, this is Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me tonight, guys. Good to be with you. Chris, we really appreciate your time, especially this busy time of the year with all this Jets news and rumors and gossip and everything else going on. Yeah, it's a little different. You know, we're, we're during the season, uh, you know, the beat is used to the structure of kind of being at the team facility uh, for, you know, four days a week or so. And we have a set schedule and set time. We know where we need to be and when for, you know, locker room access, press conferences and whatnot. So now it's sort of everyone off on their own and we're all kind of glued to glued to our phones and our laptops and Twitter and, you know, making phone calls and trying to figure things out. So it's it's different. You never know when something's going to happen. For example, this afternoon with, you know, all the Mike Tannenbaum news breaking and, uh, you know, the, the the Redskins apparently moving closer to hiring a GM, someone that the Jets might have had interest in uh, adding to their personnel department. So you never know when things are going to happen. You kind of kind of stay on your toes and, and make sure you don't uh, you don't go off the grid for too long or else you might miss something pretty important. Yeah, that's one of the advantages of social media. Now it's like you can get information instantaneously where, you know, you know, a couple of years ago you're sitting there struggling trying to, you know, you're just searching for it. And I, I guess the first thing we'll touch on, you mentioned it already, is, you know, Mike Tannenbaum, you know, he's, I guess he's the lead of football operations down in Miami. And, you know, instantaneously everybody, my thought was, isn't there a conflict of interest with Dan Quinn because, you know, he's representing him, the Jets trying to negotiate with him. But then you released some information uh, just recently about that whole arrangement with Mike Tannenbaum. Could you give us some details on that? Well, I mean, really what happened was, you know, the Dolphins made this this move official where, you know, beginning February 1st, uh, Mike Tannenbaum is going to officially take over as their vice president of football operations. So they, they released a statement with some with a quote from the owner and with some with some words from Tannenbaum as well. And, and he mentioned how uh, he's going to kind of step back from his, his agent role and that they have someone else uh, at the company he works for that's going to take over some of the contract negotiations. And as far as I understand, even though earlier we heard he was going to continue to, to represent Dan Quinn throughout his candidacy, uh, assuming that the Seahawks don't make it to the Super Bowl because February 1st kind of be that cutoff date. Um, earlier we thought that it sounded like he was going to continue to do that, but if you're going to take him at his word and what he said in this statement that was released from the Dolphins earlier, sounds like that won't be the case and that he's not going to be involved, not just with Quinn, but anyone else that he represents as well. Um, so, you know, if the Jets decide that Quinn is their guy and they're going to enter into, you know, a final negotiation stage, it doesn't sound like Tannenbaum would be directly involved in that. But, I mean, you know, up until this point, fact is he's still someone that's been a, a consultant for the Dolphins since the summer. So he has had connections to that organization to begin with. And I know there are some Jet fans and, and some people that follow the Jets or cover the Jets out there that are a little concerned. You mentioned the conflict of interest in that, you know, Dan Quinn is a hot candidate. He's got five teams after him at least. Mike Tannenbaum has to know that. He does have some allegiances to the Dolphins, and now he's going to have even more allegiances to the Dolphins. So you wonder how this just might impact things, even if he's not directly involved in contract negotiations. 
Pistons, if he has a strong relationship with Quinn, Quinn trusts him to help him through this process. You know, there are other teams involved. You wonder how that might impact the Jets' ability to, to land a Dan Quinn. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because the Jets are still interviewing head coaching candidates. We don't really know who the favorite is, who the finalists are just yet. So, you know, until they get to the point where they say, hey, Quinn's our guy, and we want to start to, to try and nail down a deal with him, uh, speculating about Tannenbaum's involvement is, I think, a little bit premature. You know, I definitely agree. It seems like now it's like, you know, even the candidates that are available, they're trying to use leverage to get a better deal from somebody else. And there's, the rumor mill is just it's almost hit ridiculous points for certain candidates like Marone. I guess my, my, my question for you is this. Are you surprised how the process is being rolled out by Woody Johnson? You know, heading into, heading into this process, we were all concerned, like, what is he going to do? He put Wolf and Cashley in place, which is phenomenal. And everybody said, okay, now he's going to hire Doug Marone because of all the, like, the instant rumors. But now it seems like it's been comprehensive. It's been thorough. They're, they're getting all quality candidates lined up, and they're doing, you know, you, you look at each candidate, especially GMs, if they're all legitimate personnel guys. What is your take on the entire process? I think that they're doing their due diligence, uh, you know, Woody specifically, and then the guys that he has surrounded himself with. And um, I think that's kind of the, the the sense that we got out of that press conference from Woody, you know, a week and a week and a day ago when he made the announcement that Rex Ryan and John Isaac wouldn't be returning. And uh, he's, you know, he was asked a direct question about, well, in terms of the GM candidates, would you go more towards someone with a personnel background? And while he didn't lock himself into anything, he did say, I think that's that would probably be a safe assumption. So uh, I think he understands. He, he doesn't want to make the same mistake again. You know, the John Idzik experiment obviously didn't work out, and he ultimately made the made the decision he did to to move on. So they put together a comprehensive list of candidates. There's a couple other guys that I think they would have liked to to, to have a sit down with and have an interview with. We know a couple of guys uh, declined interviews, not just with the Jets, but with other teams as well. Uh, guys that are going to kind of stay in the spots that they're at, uh, save for the one guy that's going to be interviewing with the Bears, who has a, has a past history with them. So they put together a solid list. I think it's I think it is more difficult when you're looking to fill GM and head coach at the same time because you have people that are working for different organizations, and, and as has been discussed ad nauseum, I feel like, over the last week or so in a lot of different forums, ideally you'd like to have the GM in place before the head coach. But, you know, it's tricky because there's only two openings for GM right now. That's the Jets and the Bears, and you have at least five, six, I don't know the exact number, actually, that are that are looking for head coaches. So that's a much more competitive market. So I think the Jets want to make sure that they don't miss out on someone they might be interested in. But in terms of the process so far, um, I don't really have a big issue with the way they're going about it. They've brought a lot of guys in for interviews. They went out to Seattle and took that trip to, to deal with a number of folks out there. I guess the only thing that I might, I don't want to say poke a hole in, but have a little bit of a complaint about was you know, when Marone opts out of his contract, you know, that night you have Woody Johnson on record sort of, I don't want to say gushing, but with some very complimentary and uh, positive remarks about Doug Marone to the Daily News. And it's rare to see an owner, I think, go on record like that when you're you're in the midst of the interview process. So I think that's why people started connecting the dots and assuming that Marone was going to be the guy. But the fact is he came in for his interview. He left. There wasn't a deal. Marone's going through other, other interviews with other teams, and the Jets continue to interview other candidates as well. So if it was that much of a slam dunk and he was that much of, the, of a heavy favorite, I have a feeling that um, that probably would have been done already, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be still discussing who the, who the next head coach for the Jets is going to be. You know, I definitely agree. I mean, once he left the office, I mean, left the complex, he knew something wasn't getting done, and it's like, all right, they're still going to go through their entire process. Uh, I guess the, the question I have for you is about Rex Ryan. First of all, you know, as a guy that's in the complex, you know, in, in the press room, what was it like covering Rex Ryan just as, you know, being in the room, you know, it, was, it seemed like the media loved him. And how hard do you think it's going to be to replace him just in terms of his, you know, media availability, his personality, things like that? 
I think it'll be very difficult. Um, you know, look, ultimately you're judged based on your on-field performance, and we know the last four years it hasn't gone the way Rex has wanted, hasn't gone the way anyone within the Jet organization or the fan base would have wanted. But he was sort of that larger-than-life personality, you know, a real character, someone that I think really did a nice job of, of dealing with the media, maybe not quite as uh, quite as bombastic later on in his head coaching tenure as he was early on, but you know, that happens over time. You learn your lessons, you, you have mistakes, things that you learn from, things that you change. But right up until the last week, you know, getting ready for that game against the Dolphins in Week 17, uh, he, he was still the same kind of guy, uh, you know, poking some fun at himself, poking some fun at others, big smile on his face, laughing, trying to handle the questions as difficult as they were, I think, the best that he could. So he was a lot of fun to be around. You know, I have a feeling that we'll probably – have an even better appreciation for him down the road somewhere. You know, it depends on who the next guy that comes in and takes over is, but I think it's pretty safe to say he's probably not going to have the, the, the colorful, colorful personality of a Rex Ryan. So it's going to be a little bit different. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I was of the belief that it was time for a change. You know, I know there's a lot of Rex Ryan defenders out there, and I understand why they feel the way that they do. Uh, and they definitely kind of grew a bit of an attachment to him over, over time. But fact is, in New York, you go four straight years without the playoffs. You can point fingers in a lot of different directions. You don't point them just at Rex Ryan. But uh, to, to see him survive, uh, you know, another general manager, potentially another offensive coordinator, maybe another special teams coordinator, another starting quarterback, eventually – some of the responsibility has to fall on the shoulders of the head coach, and I think that's ultimately what happened here. I think if you hooked Woody Johnson up to a lie detector, he'd tell you that he probably didn't want to fire Rex Ryan because I think that they had a real strong working relationship and uh, and got along really well. And I think Woody liked what Rex brought to his franchise over his six years here, but ultimately going forward, I think it was the right time for a change. It will be difficult for the next person stepping in. They're going to have to kind of you know mold out their own approach and their own error here as Jets head coach, but um, I do think the Rex there are a lot of things about Rex that will be missed in the long run. No, I definitely agree. I mean, on this show, we talked about Rex in and out, and the defenders called in, and then people wanted him fired. And it's just like everybody loved Rex Ryan. They respect him as a man, as a person, his passion, his pride. But I think we all kind of agree at the end that it was time for him to go. Uh, I guess the next question is, is just the perception of Woody Johnson. Right now, you know, you fire John it's a get to two years. It doesn't look good just in terms of just stability. So now with the next general manager coming in, do you think that Woody Johnson is going to give some kind of assurances saying, you know what, you're going to come in, this is somewhat of a rebuilding project when you don't have a quarterback. Do you think he's going to give some assurances saying, you know what, you're going to get three or four years to, to, build your, to, to roll out your program and put together? Because it's got to be a concern for candidates coming in, don't you think? Yeah, to an extent, I think so. But I, I think in a perfect world, that's what the owner would like to present to the GM candidate and the head coaching candidate. And that's what those guys would want to hear. But I think people also understand that in today's NFL, in this day and age, it's you know there's so much parity in the league. It's year to year. You can have that big change in going from a really bad team to a really good team, and it's ultimately about the results. Especially here in New York, you know the Jets have they were knocking on the door early in Rex Ryan's tenure, and it, and it's gone the other way now. So. Um, you know the fans are starved. They're starved for a winner. You know they we we you see the you guys know you, you see the passion of the fan base. You see how angry they've gotten about the way things have been handled, the way things have played out here over the course of the last couple of years. So um, I think it's an interesting, a real interesting time, a transition time for this organization right now. In that these are very important decisions that Woody Johnson, with the help of his advisors, are going to be making here over the course of the next couple of weeks, and they obviously need to make the right one. Or we're probably going to be ta- having the same conversation a couple of years down the road. But at the same time. I think the fan base understands that you know it might not happen overnight. They all want to see a winner, but you know if they were 
I think the fan base is ready to show some patience going forward because this is the same crew that was ready to, you know, blow things up. A lot of the fans wanted John Idzik gone. A lot of people did want Rex Ryan gone. They want Geno Smith gone. You know, they're they're ready to push all these people out. Well, bringing in new people takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Very rarely does it happen overnight. So uh, I think that there are some fans out there, although it's New York, although people are a lot of paying, paying a lot of money for their season tickets and they paid a lot of money for their PSLs, you know, a few years back when MetLife Stadium opened, um, they want to see it built the right way. Uh, and you don't want to kind of just plug in different pieces that don't fit, trying to squid, uh, fit square pegs into round holes. So it might take some time, but I think if they make the right hires and they put people in place that the fan base feels more comfortable about, specifically when we're talking about the general manager, we've talked about someone with more of a, a player personnel and scouting background that maybe can get some of these draft choices turned around, do a better job in the draft, in free agency and whatnot. Uh, I think people might have a little bit more patience for a longer-term plan than they did with a guy like John Idzik who didn't maybe have that resume that people were looking for. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, John Idzik preached that the draft would be his lifeline, and then his draft was, was, you know, has potential, but they either hurt or weren't panning out or they were you know, slow to develop. So it's, I think you agree. If you have a, a plan in place, a legitimate plan that we could all see and say, oh, this makes sense, give it time, it's going to come to fruition, I think a lot of Jet fans can understand that. Uh, I guess, you know, we're talking with Crystal Presti from WFAN, the, the uh, radio show's Jets beat reporter. What is your take on Geno Smith in terms of his development this year and as in terms of his respect in a locker room? I mean, it seems like, you know, he missed the meeting in San Diego. There, there's the stories that he missed the last, uh, the last meeting, the, the, the uh, practice meeting leaving the, the, um, with Rex. But then I guess I would say that wasn't true. What's your take on with Geno in terms of his future, like, say, next year? Yeah, I mean, just quickly to address that after after season meeting, uh, I know there were some rumors out there about him, you know, missing a meeting or being late to a meeting. Um, I, I know for a fact that he was not late or did not miss any scheduled meetings. You know, it was kind of a fluid day. Um, uh, that day after Woody Johnson meeting with Rex Ryan and John Idzik and then sort of an announcement being made to team members that were in the facility. It wasn't like there was a set meeting that, you know, Gino just didn't show up for. So just to clear that up. But, yeah, look, there's there have been some red flags, you know, on the field and off the field about Gino through two years here now. Uh, I felt that he handled the, the spotlight and the media a little bit better as a rookie, actually, than he did in his second season. But, you know, there's reasons for that. Your performance on the field, uh, as uh, the worse it gets or if it doesn't make improvement, over time, you're going to draw more criticism. People are going to have less and less patience for watching you on a week-in, week-out basis. So I did feel that got to Geno at times this year, which I was a little surprised by because just having been around him for a full season last year, I felt that he had thick enough skin to, to handle New York, handle the criticism, and handle everything that comes with being a starting quarterback in this city. And, um, you know, I think there were some up and downs in that area this year, but ultimately the most important part is what's gone on on the field. And he's shown you some flashes at time, obviously at times. Obviously, the biggest flash we saw was Week 17 against the Dolphins, his get his best game to date as a pro. But we've also seen a lot of the same mistakes week in and week out. You know, the careless, careless with the football, bad mistakes, uh, bad decisions, bad throws. You know, fumbles at, at crucial times, taking a sack at crucial times, and. You know, I'm a big believer in his athleticism, his physical ability, but it's it's the between the ears stuff that just hasn't quite come together. Uh, I don't know if that's all on him, if it's some of it's on the coaching staff, the fact that he was kind of thrust into having to be the starter from day one as a rookie, where I think if you watch the Jets in the preseason, it was pretty clear he wasn't ready for that, but the injury to Mark Sanchez left the Jets with no other choice. So you can kind of, I think, trace it all back to that, except I thought he I thought he finished the year last year real strong and was ready to take off this season. It didn't work out that way, obviously, and, and it got really ugly at times. So 
I think from a physical standpoint, there's still ability, there's still potential there, but I certainly don't expect the Jets uh, to go through this offseason and not at least try to address that situation in that position, whether it's through free agency, trade, or the draft. There's still a lot of things to be determined there. We need to see who the GM is, who the head coach is, what kind of offensive system the Jets are going to be running going forward. But uh, Geno Smith's a 24-year-old kid with two years left on his contract. It's not a big cap number. So ultimately, you got to have more than one quarterback on the roster. I'm not saying he should come into camp as the, as the favorite to win the starting job uh, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he's still a part of this organization going forward it's you know quarterback as we know it, it's it's such a tough it's a tough league to find guys that uh, can fill out your roster guys that have ability he does have physical ability it's that between the years stuff that still needs to progress and he needs to show some growth and development there maybe he never does but I think it's probably still a little bit too early uh, to, to give up on him as an NFL player not necessarily as a starting quarterback but someone that can be on your 53-man roster no, I, I definitely agree. That's, that's an awesome take on, on Geno Smith. And I guess to, to piggyback off that, you know, when initially coming into the whole hiring process, people were saying you know, the Jets need to hire an offensive-minded head coach. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if you hire, let's say, a Dan Quinn, and he hires a quality offensive staff, as a, you know, a coordinator, quarterbacks, coach, et cetera, I think the Jets would be just fine. What's your take on that? Do you think the Jets have to get a quality head coach, or should they have the, the staff more geared toward the offensive side of the football? No, I'm with you. Um, I think that you ultimately want to bring in the best head coaching candidate because it's not just about the offense. I mean, that is that has been sort of the the you know the glaring um, the glaring downfall of this team really for the last four or five maybe even six years. I mean, with Rex Ryan in the early years, it was about what they were doing running the football, not necessarily throwing the football. And as we know in in today's NFL, you got to be able to pass the ball. And with Marty Morningway as your offensive coordinator the last two seasons, a guy that loves to throw it, they still struggle to do that. Um, so. I think that as they're going through this interview process, I think it's important that they they decide on what they feel is the best overall candidate, someone that's going to you know be in charge of this roster for, and his coaching staff from top to bottom. But I think you're also looking for someone that has relationships with other coaches that can step in and build that strong offensive staff that you're talking about. Um, you, you know, you you ultimately want to pick the best candidate, defense, offense. If he has this background in special teams, whatever it might be, you want a guy that's going to lead your team and 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 you can feel comfortable about going forward. But the way he fills out his coaching staff is very, very important, and specifically what they're going to do at offensive coordinator. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that you're not going to see Marty Warningweg uh, back with this organization next year. I think I'd be, we'd all be really surprised by that. So you're probably talking about someone who's most likely stepping into his first opportunity to be a play caller in the league. So it's probably going to be a younger candidate, maybe someone we don't know a lot about. I'm purely speculating here, but that's kind of the way uh, teams and organizations that are making changes like this, that's the route that they seem to go. So it's a question of the, the, the head coaching candidate that you're ready to move forward with, You know, what, what sort of uh, circle of friends, what is his network of coaches like? Does he have strong offensive minds in place, someone that he's really excited about that uh, he has a good feeling he can bring aboard to be the offensive coordinator? And, and get this offense back on, you know, headed headed in the right direction. And it's not just – it's important to put that guy in place, but you also need to have the pieces. I think the Jets have done a nice job of upgrading some of their weapons on the offensive side, specifically a wide receiver. I like Eric Decker and Percy Harvin a lot. I think it should be no question Percy Harvin should be brought back next year. That's just my opinion. But ultimately, until you get the quarterback in place, I don't care who the play caller is. He might be the best offensive coordinator, play caller of all time. If you have a guy under center that's not confident in what he's doing and not making the right decision, on the field, it's going to be really tough for you to have long-term offensive success. No, I, I definitely agree with you. That's an interesting take on Percy Harvin. So with Percy Harvin, would you keep him at his current salary of $10 million next year, or would you try to restructure him in terms of maybe give him some guaranteed money and keep him around for like two or three years? 
I'm okay either way. I mean, I think that ultimately is going to be up to the GM and, and what other moves the Jets make in free agency, trades. You know, I, I don't think the draft necessarily affects it too much. That's that's kind of a slotted system now. So we know the Jets have plenty of cap space to work with. Um, so if they're going to bring in a GM, I'd be surprised if they go really crazy in free agency. So to me, I mean, for at least for this season, that should allow you to probably keep Percy Harvin where he's at. Is he a $10.5 million wide? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Receiver? No, I'm not suggesting that. But it's zero guaranteed money. You know, there's, there's not a long-term risk for the Jets by staying in that current contract. People have concerns about his durability, injury history. I get that. So if you have a guy that's locked into a high cap number, but you know it's your long-term risk if he does break down or get hurt is pretty minimal, I don't know that you necessarily want to mess with that too much. If they want to bring the number down a little bit, yeah, maybe you renegotiate, you throw him some, uh, some, some guaranteed money. He's certainly not going to take a pay cut. Um, I, I don't see why he would do that, because if the Jets cut him free, I'm sure he'd have interest from other teams. I think he performed well for the Jets when he was brought over from Seattle. He was on his best behavior. I know the, his, his new teammates in the Jet locker room had a lot of good things to say about him. So I think his stock is, is in a decent position right now, so that it's not really – I don't know that the Jets have a, a ton of leverage, but uh, the two sides could work something out to bring the cap number down, give them a little guaranteed money. I'd be okay with that, but I'd, I'd certainly be okay with leaving it just the way it is, at least for this season. See how it plays out. Give them a full training camp with your roster uh, or with your organization. Give them a full 16 games and, and see how it works out. But if you remove him from this roster, you're, you're arguably taking the most explosive offensive player they have off of the roster, and then you're kind of starting over from scratch, and you're looking for somebody else to fill the role that he did once he came in from Seattle. And when he was healthy, I thought he performed quite well. Yeah, no, you're, no kidding. I mean, if you have special teams, he's a running back out of back for the wide receiver. He's a diverse player. I guess my only concern would be like like the salary cap number. But as you mentioned, you could take a one-year hit or even try to extend him. Uh, Chris, first of all, I want to thank you for your time. My last question for you is this. Is there any concern of having a first-time GM and a first-time head coach? You know, when Rex Ryan came in, there was some kind of stability in the front office. But now you're kind of overhauling everything. Do you have any concern of having just two guys kind of learning on the job at the same time? Yeah, I think there's 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 some truth to that, but you know, I think a lot of teams that are making wholesale changes like that, that's that's unfortunately the path that that most are going down. I mean, there's not always that blue chip in, you know, GM in waiting or head coach in waiting or someone that's looking for a second opportunity that's out there. Obviously, uh, Jim Harbaugh was the big name. We know he's gone to Michigan. So it's, you know, a retread head coach, um, you know, there's some there's some positives to that from an experience standpoint. But chances are, for whatever reason, it didn't work out in his past wherever else he was. So um, you're looking for that next up-and-coming guy, that next coordinator probably who's ready to take the next step. More often than not, these guys turn into, you know, mediocre coaches at best. It's not like there's a great success rate, but, you know, you hit, you make the right decision, you go through the inter- interview process, Woody Johnson surrounds himself with the right people, and, and they feel real strong about somebody. You put somebody in place, you never know if you have the next big thing. And that goes for the GM as well. I mean, 
the, the, more often than not, when people teams are making these hires and, and they're stealing from other organizations, stealing is not the wrong word, but taking from other organizations, you're looking for somebody who is who is moving up the ranks, who maybe hasn't gotten to that promotion yet, and he's not going to get it at the current organization he's with. So you're going to bring him into yours and give him that opportunity until uh, until you see the guy in position to do that. You know, it, it's really hard to get a sense of, of you know, how it's going to work out. As with almost anything, there's pros and cons. But I think the difference this time around, obviously, compared to what the Jets did with John Idzik a few years back, is that all the candidates they're bringing through have this background in personnel, in scouting. You guys mentioned Rod Graves earlier, an internal candidate. He's a guy who's been a GM in the past. He's been around the league a long time. So I think it's a much different crop of candidates this time around. And I can't tell you which guy is going to get the job. If it's if it's tied in with who they're going to choose as head coach, if one has more leverage over the other, um, but fact is, as we talked about off the top, I think that they've they've put together a pretty extensive list. I think they've tried to put the feelers out there to as many guys as possible, and and they've had a lot of face to face sit downs with a number of candidates on both sides, GM and head coach. So they should have a pretty good sample size and 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 a, and a good list of names to choose from. It's ultimately about making the right selection, which you know what. It's it's very much in this league, not just with the Jets, but with a lot of other teams. More often than not, it's a flip of the coin, and uh, you know we'll be able to revisit it down the road to see how it worked out. Yeah. Well, Chris, for the sake of both me and you and the rest of Jets Nation, let's hope they get it right this time because this has been <laughs> this year was definitely. I know this year was rough for you because it was definitely rough for us. Yeah, it was. You know, I don't I don't think a lot of people expected it to go quite as poorly as it did. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, which uh, that's a, that's a story for a whole other day. But uh, the Jets didn't. They didn't. They didn't play with a lot of football luck this year. We know they were in a ton of close games, some injury problems, some depth problem, depth problems. You know, it, it just goes to show you how how tricky and how how tricky this league is, and that uh, there's really not a lot of separation between a winning record and a losing record. I know the fan base doesn't want to hear that right now, but you know they were in position to win a lot of games. Um, I'm not saying they were going to win all of them, but. Uh, it wasn't like they were the laughing stock of the league getting blown out week in, week out. I know there are people that are disappointed with some of the talent level from top to bottom on the roster, and that's going to happen when you have a, a season the way the Jets did. But um, I don't I don't think that they're necessarily in the in, in such an awful position. And I, and I think the fact that they have so many candidates and guys that are interested in the job, forget about those that turn them down. There are people that are interested in coming here uh, to work for Woody Johnson and take over a team that's going to have a, you know, a, strong, a strong set of draft picks. They have a lot of cap space to work with they do have some talent on both sides of the ball uh it's not it's it's not you know the worst situation in the nfl it's they're a couple players away and the right coaching staff away and a couple of good drafts away from getting themselves right back in the mix whether or not that happens remains to be seen but um i could think of worse circumstances yeah no doubt i think when people try to paint the picture of the jets aren't a marketable position or not a, you know not a quality position i think like you said with with a draft pick significant cap space there's definitely some opportunities to to flourish. Chris, I want to thank you very much for your time. I definitely appreciate it. I know everybody also appreciates your interaction on Twitter. You always provide great information. You always interact with the fans, which is completely awesome. Um, please let everybody know how they can get how they can follow you. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, it's my pleasure, and, and thanks for having me. It was uh, it's always fun to, to chat about the Jets. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at C Lopresti W F A N, just like the the station call letters. So. Uh, I try to get back to as many people as possible. It's not always right away. Sometimes it's hours after the fact. But um, you know, I, it's 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 kind of it's kind of my my little thing that I try to do because you know there's there's so much great coverage out there and there's a lot of people on the beat that do a great job in a, in a variety of different ways. So I just try to make my excel, myself accessible. I don't have all the answers, obviously, but I enjoy the interaction with the fan base. There's a lot of passion out there, uh, and, and I certainly appreciate that. 
And uh, you know, I'm not. I didn't grow up a Jet fan. I'm not. I'm not rooting one way or the other. But uh, I do hope, for the sake of the fan base, that they can get some people in position that they feel strongly about and uh, can get themselves back headed in the right direction. Uh, you, you're not kidding, man. This is this has been a it's been a long time coming for this organization to finally get a Super Bowl win. So uh, we we definitely appreciate it, Chris. And uh, have a good night, man. Thank you again. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, everybody, that was Chris Lopresti from WFAN. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, please do so. He's, he's, he provides great Jets information. He always interacts with the fans, and he's, he's very fair. He gives fair assessments, not very biased, which is, in some cases, very rare. With that being said, we're going to go to our next guest, who is a, a very popular man. He, he's on SNY. He's, he hosts Jets Post Game Live. He's also an Emmy Award-winning broadcaster on SNY. So this is Brian Custer. Brian Custer, this is Tyson Roush Let's Talk Jets. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm great, Tyson. How are you, man? I'm doing great. As you know, Jets Nation's buzzing about all these rumors and gossip and everything else, so I'm sure you you have a lot of things you're hearing about. Yeah, well, I mean, um, uh, today, you know, Todd Bowles and uh, the defense coordinator out of the Cardinals interviewed Frank Reich, of course, uh, offense coordinator from San Diego, uh, had in his interview, and from a general manager standpoint, uh, Chris Greer out of Miami uh, had an interview as well. You know, with Mike Tannenbaum coming in there, they've kind of shaken up the house. So Chris Greer's one guy who interviewed for the uh, general manager's job. Now, Brian, what is your take on, on this whole change? Did you agree with the Jets completely cleaning house and removing Rex, removing Idzik and starting fresh? Or What was your perspective on this? Well, I had um, I had gotten a call from – you know, a source from Florham Park who I trust implicitly. And he called me maybe, I want to say, um, uh, I want to say the Monday um, before Christmas. And he knew Woody very well, uh, obviously interacts with Woody. And he had a good discussion with him. And in their discussion, he told me, he said that they're going to clean house with both guys. And I was somewhat surprised because – now, I just knew Rex was going to go uh, only because, you know, when it boils down to it, you know, the coach, it, it, it's on you. Uh, it was your team. You didn't get it done. It's been, you know, three years, four years since we've been in the, the postseason. You know, it comes down on you. And my source had told me that the one thing that, uh, that Woody loved Rex Ryan, loved everything about him, but the one thing he did not like is that he was in, and I'm talking about Woody, in – almost all of their personnel meetings, and that whenever they had personnel meetings, you know, Rex is in there, John Isaac is in there, you know, their situations came up. Should we even go with Geno? Should we bench Geno? Should we do this? And then every step of the way, Rex was always in agreement with the room. And Woody felt like if you were ever upset with something, that was your opportunity to speak up. Even when John Isaac was, uh, wanted them to start Geno Smith again, and he thought, Woody thought maybe Rex would be against that, but he didn't say anything. So, you know, ultimately that was one of the things that Woody said, okay, he's got to go because, hey, look, you're a head coach. You never said anything. Um, you went along with all the personnel decisions. He's got to go. But the thing that surprised me most was that he was more upset with John Isaac because he didn't like the way he had drafted the past couple of seasons. And from what he told me was the only draft pick, and I'm quoting him, he said that Woody loved, obviously, was Sheldon Richardson. The rest, he, 
for, I'll give you the, the exact quote, were uh, weren't uh, worth uh, a pit of beans, is basically is what Woody told my source. <laughs> so um, that I, that surprised me because I didn't know that he was he was more upset with John Isaac than he was with Rex Ryan. You know, and I'm actually surprised too. Like from the fan base, we just you know we try to get as much information as we can. We read about it on social networks, everything else. I'm actually personally surprised that Woody Johnson was that actively involved and knew that level of detail in terms of yeah. how things went in the personal meetings. I mean, that, that's actually very surprising to me. Well, the one thing and and, and the one thing I thought um, was somewhat interesting. I think you will probably see Woody be a little more hands on. He was in the personnel meetings, things of that nature. One thing that surprised Woody Johnson was he didn't know that D. Milliner had such a, uh, a injury history that dated back not only from high school but to college. He just thought D. Milliner was a stud corner coming out of Alabama. He didn't know that Dexter McDougal had a history, uh, injury history coming out of college. And I remember when we did our draft show – on SNY, we found that out when we started talking to people from Maryland that, you know, Dexter McDougal got injured riding a scooter when he was in college. And, you know, Ray Lucas made the joke, look, my 10-year-old can do a flip off her scooter, can ride it, do a flip, and get back on it. And this guy injured his shoulder and had surgery on his shoulder when he was in college from falling off his scooter. And he's like, this is the guy you draft? So, you know, those are the type of things where you can say as an owner, hey, shame on you. You should know those type of things. And, and more than that, shame on your scouting department for not uh, taking that in consideration when you made those picks. Yeah, and, that, and you touched on a, a real good subject for us because we, you know, you know, Jets fans, we all want change. We're demanding change. And the one guy that yeah. keeps getting mentioned over and over is Terry Bradway. Bradway. Terry Bradway seems, yeah, we, call, we, call Terry, we call Terry, you know, Teflon Terry because no matter what happens, he's always still there. So what's your, what's your, take, on, what's your take on the personnel department? Do you think when the new GM comes in place, he's going to have the ability to maybe after the draft remove a guy like Bradway, or do you think he's going to be inherited once again? Yeah, I think um... – I think, again, this goes to now Woody being a lot more active. And in the past, he always kind of just said, hey, look, this is the way we do things. Um, this is, this department has served us well. You know, let's keep this, this together. I think now he's taken – and he even said that in his news conference. He's leaving that up to the next general manager. Hey, you bring in whoever you need to bring in for us to be successful. And I think this will probably be the first year. I would be shocked – uh, if Terry Bradway and his staff remained in place at Florham Park. I think he, from what I've heard from Woody, he has been so upset over the way this team has drafted the past couple of years. He wants a really a clean house, um, even in that scouting department, but I think he's going to leave it up to the new general manager uh, to come down and fire, fire everybody and bring in his own people. Brian, I can tell you right now that you are making so many people happy with this, with these, with these words because everybody, we, it's always Terry Bradway. This we want change, and it's like it seems like it's always it's always a process and it never really works out. So this is great news. I, I guess my, my next question for you is this: is you know, with Idzik being fired at two years, do you think mm -hmm. the next general manager needs some kind of assurances where he can actually roll out roll out his huge plan? I mean, you have you know, the quarterback situation is unknown. That you need some you need to improve some areas, and it's not going to take one year. It's going to take at least two years to kind of get back right. on the right track. Do you think the next general manager is going to have some kind of assurance and say, you know what, 
I need at least three years, you know, because like, the Isaac experience was awful, but can he get, at least get three years, four years, Morty, to like, roll out his plan? Well, I think I think first and foremost, you need to have a guy who has a football personnel background. That's that's first and foremost. You got to have a in that position. You've got to have a football guy. I think what happened with John Isaac was John Isaac was in Seattle and they got enamored like, oh wow, you know, you got to keep in mind, would he use this firm to find his John Isaac? He didn't really go through. Now he's using Charlie Cashley and Ron Wolf football guys, but before he was just using this firm and just getting, you know, uh, looking at resumes of guys. Oh, that looked great. Oh, this guy looks great. John John Isaac was in the Seattle front office, but he wasn't picking guys. He wasn't in the personnel. He was more on the cap side. So he basically came over and said, oh, this is what I can do for you from your cap perspective, and then sold them like, oh, my goodness, yes, I've been in Seattle. I was, I was very instrumental in uh, some of the picks and some of the players we got and sold Woody that he knew football and then went back to, hey, look, my father was here, and my father was here in the days when Rex's father was here with the Jets. So he kind of sold Woody like, well, you know what, maybe he's right. He does, does great with numbers. His father was in football, so he's got to know he was in Seattle. They've done a great job picking. He must be good. Well, it was the first time. This is the first time he's ever picked players and graded players. So you've got to have a guy who's got a deep-rooted football personnel background. That's first and foremost, I think, is what he needs um, going forward. And then he's just got to make sure that the people he gets, these are guys who produce on the field. If you look at the number of picks, that even the 12 picks in this past draft, only two basically played. Amaro and your safety. And even your safety, who was your first-round pick, got benched twice in the season. Yep. So you can't have that going in. You, got, you make a pick in, you know, I think, he'd be, what was he, 18th or 16th in the draft? I mean, he's got to make an instant impact. He's got to have an Odell Beckham-type impact on the field for you because, listen, Odell Beckham saved Tom Coughlin and Jerry Reese's job. And that's what you yeah, need no, to be your general right. manager. When you pick, you better make sure that these guys are – especially rounds one through four. No, I, I agree with you. And that was the whole thing. Like, when we went through the whole draft process on the show, we had all these draft experts in. And then, you know, post-draft, there's like, well, there, there's potential. And if this happens, this could happen. It was like ifs, could-haves, and should-haves. Yeah, it was right. like, that's not what you want to hear when you have 12 picks. It's like So we try to justify it, but as it came to fruition, you're like – Oh no! Here we go. Now it's like this is supposed to be your lifeline. Your lifeline yes. is broken. So, so yes. now what do you do? You know. So it's. So I, I guess the, the next the next area we can touch on is you know first of all is what was it like covering Rex Ryan? I guess you probably couldn't get a more accessible coach, a more honest coach. I mean, I guess he's very likable as a man with his passion. Yeah. But what was it like covering Rex Ryan? No, he 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 was uh, he was phenomenal. I think from a media standpoint. Um, because, you know what, listen, it was refreshing to hear a guy talk junk and and really not care uh, what the ramifications were. And, you know, sometimes some of these coaches are so buttoned up. Um, you know, everything was so tight out there with Mangini. You know, you couldn't talk about injuries, couldn't talk about this, couldn't talk. You know, Rex, hey, he was he was an open book. Say, listen, did he speak too much or maybe say a little bit too much? Sure he did. But, you know, it was great for us because he always gave you something. 
And uh, I like that. And he, you know what? Some may have thought he was bragging. That's just the way he is. You know, I think from Rex's fault, Rex sometimes believes in his players maybe too much and probably more than what they believe in themselves. That was probably his downfall. That he no, looked at a guy like, let's say, uh, he may look at a guy like Marcus Williams and say, you know what? Shit, I'm, I shoot, I'm going to coach you up so good. Uh, and because my system is so great, I'm going to make you an all-pro. And this kid is probably thinking, man, I'm scared. But, you know, Rex is like, hey, I'm going to put you in there, and you're going to be great. And I think that was really his downfall. Well, Brian, you got to remember that Rex Ryan tried to teach us that Kyle Wilson was the best nickelback in football. <laughs> so we, 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 we know he definitely talked a lot. But, but I, I guess the, 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 the follow-up to that is, you know, how hard is it to replace Rex Ryan just in terms of you figure this season, Rex Ryan's the face of your franchise. He is. He's the yeah. big name. He, he's, yep. he's front and center for your organization. So not only are you replacing a head coach, you've got to replace Rex's presence. How hard do you think it's going to yeah. be to do that? You know, I don't think – I don't think – you know why? I don't think it will be hard because I think the next coach just needs to be him. Just be who you are and, more importantly, produce. Because if you come in and be who you are – and produce, you're going to forget about all that other stuff. You'll forget about, oh, boy, he's got to walk in Rex's shadow, and, oh, he's not as bombastic as Rex Ryan. They're going to look at him and be like, hey, this cat's winning me football games. I don't care if he doesn't say anything. You know, he's winning football games, and that's really this next, that's all this next coach needs to do. He needs to coach up this offense because this offense needs to be a lot more dynamic and win and produce. That's all. I think, I think Jet fans, they, they're just like, yo, please show me something. Show me yep. something and, and show me results, especially on the offensive end. And, you look, I think they'll, they'll love this guy. No, I, I definitely agree. And so in terms of the head coach, you know, like initially when this, when this process started, everybody's like the Jets need an offensive coach. They need an offensive head coach. Yeah. They have to get that. They have to get that. But if you think about it, if you get a guy like a Dan Quinn or a Todd Bowles, as long as he hires a quality offensive staff, like a legitimate right. offensive coordinator and a good quarterback coach, you, you could be all right. I mean, what's your take on that? Are you more than just get the best candidate available, or do you think the Jets have to go to the offensive side of the ball and make that offensive head coach? Yeah, I, I think you know. I think in a perfect world, I, I, it's almost likely in the draft, man. You get the best uh, available. Sure, you would love, you would love to uh, have a guy who's got, you know, for for once, maybe uh, more leans more towards the offense because it's been neglected here for the past uh, six seasons. You know, that would be great. But you know, I'll tell you. The best. The reason why I say the best available is because to me, the best coaches are the ones who you forget what their background is. You almost forget that Belichick is was staunch defensive guy, and at one point special teams guy. You almost forget that because he's so good on both sides of the ball. He's great at scheming offensively, and he's great defensively. You almost, you know, forget about the other of the great coaches. It becomes a blur. Like, wait a minute, where did he come from? Coughlin. You're thinking like, where did he come from? Well, he's special teams guy at one point. You you almost forget where their specialty comes because they're so good 
at both sides of the ball. And I think if you really, if we're going to be honest, that's what this franchise has been lacking because, you know, Rex just came in and just said, look, I'm going to be on defense, y'all offense, y'all take care of it. Whoever you OC, you just take care of that. I'm not going to be in there. And then what happens is he's so focused on the defense that when things happen in the game, you know, he gets exposed. And some of his in-game uh, problems happen because too many men on the field on the offensive side of the football, and then they call a timeout, and then come out of the timeout and get another penalty. You know, that kind of stuff can't happen. Why? Because he's not as involved on the offensive side of the football. A great coach is one who knows how to manage and be uh, has his finger on the thumb on both sides of the ball and special teams, so really all three. And to me, that's what a great coach is. You almost forget what his background is. And I just think you get you need to get the best guy available. No, Brian, I agree with you. And we're talking to Brian Custer, an Emmy award-winning broadcaster from SNY and the host of Jets Post Game Live, which is must-watch television after every game. Brian, what is your take on Geno Smith in terms of the player and in terms of his role in the locker room? I mean, he's had a rough year, the inconsistent year. He ended on a positive note against Miami, but for most of us, it's too little too late. What's your take on Geno in terms of is he respected? I mean, he missed a meeting in San Diego. You know, yeah. what, how do, what is your feel on him? I think I think from you know the number of guys we usually have in the station and we have good heart-to-hearts with him, I just think most of the guys like him. They like him uh, as a person, but feel like he needs to grow up and mature. And, you know, for some guys it takes a little bit longer. Um, you know, you can tell a guy, look, you're going to New York City, man. It's it's unlike any other animal. And they'd be like, oh, okay, I'm built for it. I'm, I, hey, I came from this program. I'm good. And then they get here and they realize, wow, everything I do is scrutinized. Um, and, it, you know, it bothers them. So he needs to mature. Um, to me, you know, when I watched Geno in West Virginia, he would make some amazing throws. I remember that game he had like six touchdown passes he's on the cover of sports illustrated and then the next week against louisville he like stinks to join up you know that and you almost forget about that because he was like heisman for geno for heisman and then all of a sudden the story went away the next week because he had that bad week and it's so funny because you see that now in the national football league he can look good on some sundays and then the next week you're like is this guy even an nfl quarterback um, he's just incons- He's consistently inconsistent. And I just think for some guys, they are what you are. And I think that's what he's going to be as a quarterback. Now, I could be wrong. He may get a new coach. They coach him up. They get some better players, and they can kind of coach him out of it. But you know what? Sometimes guys just are who they are. The same can go for Mark Sanchez. You know, people thought, oh, my goodness, look, Mark Sanchez goes to Philadelphia. Look at the weapons. Chip Kelly is great offensive guru. He has that one week he comes in, he looks great. And then what happened here down the stretch? He turned back into Mark Sanchez. So some of these guys just are who they are, and some of them that got it. I mean, you can watch a Russell Wilson. You can watch an Andrew Luck from the get-go and say, that kid's got it. Uh, Some guys are just inconsistent. To me right now, that's what Geno Smith is. He's just – consistently inconsistent. Yeah, and as, as for Jet fans, it drives us insane because you see the potential Bonkers. and it just, yeah, and it's just now it's like going into next season, it's like it's an unknown. You know, Does he develop? Does he not develop? And you really can't count right. on it. you got to go, you, you got to either draft somebody or try to bring in a veteran and either way, you're probably not, you know, you're probably not going to get your franchise quarterback once again. 
Right. Yeah, I think I think next year, man, it's wow. I mean, you know, in the, the, the when you look at the free agents, the picking is slim from yep. you know the Brian Hoyers to the Mark Sanchez's. I mean, just just names like that, Kirk Cousins, if he if he gets traded away from Washington, but you know he got benched because he started turning the football over. So the pickings is slim. You know, next year, okay, let's be honest, it's not going to be a great year at all. Um, so you're going to have to take your lumps. You're going to have to draft well. You're going to have to maybe try to get you a, a veteran quarterback to come in here and compete with Geno and hope that you can at least get to 500 and then that year after get your quarterback and and make the uptick. And, you know, it, it's going to take, like you said, it's going to take some time. We're looking at maybe a three-year process. And people in New York don't like to hear that. But, you know, for some teams that happens, you look at the Cowboys – I mean, how many years did they go eight and eight? And you're just yep. you're like, yo, Jason Garrett needs to get out of there. Tony Romo's a turnover machine, but you know what they did every year? They just kept drafting linemen, kept drafting linemen, and then said, okay, now we're going to protect Romo and we're going to stick with the running game, not go away from it, and let Tony toss it all over for fifty fifty times a game, and it's paid off for him now. Here it is, three years later, and now they're back in the postseason. It took them a while. But at least they stayed true to their plan of saying, okay, we're going back to our glory days. And in our glory days when we had the triplets, it's because we had a great offensive line. And you know what? They built it up. It took. Listen, and Dallas is just as fanatical because I worked there as New York. And they, those people were going crazy, wanted Jason Garrett out of there. And you know what? Patience and persistence paid off for them. Let's see if it happens here in New York. Yeah, it's a very good point, Brian. Because you figure when when Rex Ryan has his, had his success, that offensive line, Brandon Moore, you know, Brickenshaw, Mangold. I mean, they they, they, were, they were just yep, they were mauling people. And then you have that foundation. You can run the ball. You run the ball. You get play yep. action pass. It all trickles down, and then you can get time of possession. So, it's an excellent point. And you mentioned it earlier too. I think if Jeff fans see a plan in place that's legitimate, and you could see, okay, these are building blocks. It makes sense yep. to us. You, you see development. You see progress. I think there may be a little bit more patience, but right, like these last two years, it's like, what are we doing? All we see is injuries, and you're, you know, it's like makeshift lineups, and you're, you're signing guy on Tuesday, he's starting on Sunday. I mean, he was driving everybody insane. You cannot come in. I cannot. And John is his mistake was he came in and said, "Hey, look, you don't win by just spending money like a drunken sailor." In other words, he took a shot at Mike Tannenbaum and said, "Look, those days got you in cap uh, cap hell." And, and got your franchise strapped here for the next couple of years. You can't do that. You've got to build through the draft. You've got to draft well and make these draft picks the building blocks of the team, the point you just made. But if you look at the past couple of years, you're thinking, okay, where are those building blocks? I mean, Calvin Pryor was our first-round pick, got benched a couple of times this year. You don't know if if he's going to be a stud or not. Um, D. Milliner, my goodness, I mean, you, he, this guy gets benched uh, his rookie year. How many times has he been hurt now? Because you're, you're sitting here thinking, like, well, so where are these building blocks? Sure, you got Sheldon Richardson. Absolutely. That's a feather in your cap. But that's one. Um, where are the rest? And, and you can't do that. You cannot sell your fan base on, I'm going to build through the draft and then have 12 picks and two only play. 
Yeah, especially when you have every draft analyst telling everybody in the world that this is the strongest wide receiver class they've yes. ever seen in years, and we come out with Jalen Saunders, Shaq Evans, and you're just like everybody's sitting there like, all right, we're gonna trade up and get you know Allen Robinson or, or you know anybody, and it's just like you're, you're watching, you're watching. You've got to be kidding me. So yes, hey, Brian. I mean, first of all, you you guys do an excellent job on Jets post game live because you guys handle the tough issues. You're not scared of it. So my next question for you is just a little bit off off topic. Is what is it like dealing with like Chad? Skadden and Ray Lucas when this team is completely melting down? Well, you know, uh, Chad was new this year um, to the broadcast. We um, we had uh, – Chad was new. Eric Coleman, we worked in, the former yep. Jet. He was new, too. Um, uh, Joe, Joe Klecko had back surgery, so Joe was away. I don't know if Joe's going to come back or not. Um, but, you know, having Coach Westoff on there is great because <laughs> – He's like that feisty old uncle you got, and uh, he's going to tell, he's going to say, "Hey, look, I I'm a good I'm a great coach," and he'd be the first one to tell you that. <laughs> That's the yep. thing I love about Mike. He's going to tell you how good he is, but you know the one thing is he he was close to Rex. He had his pulse uh, on on what was going on out there at Florham Park a lot of times. You know, I thought was interesting, and I don't even know if I should share it, but I'll tell you anyway. You know, when he left Florham Park, he gave their uh, special teams coach his book. He had this book, and he showed it to us of, like, all these special plays on special teams that worked against various teams, Miami, because they like to do this, uh, against Buffalo, they like to do this. And, you know, they never used it. And, you know, that really oh. upset him because he felt like, hey, look, I'm giving you, I'm giving you my old black book, so to speak. And right. I think the, the, the guy they had brought in there, he kind of looked at it like, ah, you know, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, yeah, that was good when you were here. Not when I... And you can see, look at the special teams the past couple of years. They have been god-awful. Um, yep. But, you know, Mike was great because, you know, he, he didn't have any filter. He just said it how it was. He, he, the way he talked on TV is the way he coached with those guys. Ray is – he'll tell you, I'm a Jersey boy. I got no filter. And he, he played <laughs> like that. And he sometimes, you know, I got to tell him, like, you know, he, I know we're getting ready and he's raising up. I got to kind of give him that look like, all right, you know, we're live. You know, chill, man. You can, you know, we know we're live. Just we want to keep our FCC license. Just chill, you know, because he, oh my God, we would sit there and watch the games. He'd throw chairs. Um, he's he's a character. I love him, man. He's like my little brother. Uh, I love him. But you know what? He he says exactly how he feels. And I know the Jets sometimes they got a little upset with us. Um, and I can understand it, you know, because they, maybe they wanted us to soften it a little bit. But we just felt like. You know, we can't lie to the fan base, and we're going to tell it the way we see it. As long as we back it up with, with proof and as long as we back it up with stats, we figure, you know, we're going to shoot from the hip. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. So I, I know we, they kind of had red ants in the pants a time or two with us, but, hey, that's just the way we do it. No, and Brian, I'll tell you, from, from speaking from like, a longtime Jets fan and from everybody else listening to our show, we love it. I mean, it's a must-watch television because you, you guys talk about the things that we talk about while we're watching the game, like why did this happen, why are they doing this, like what are they thinking, and, and you guys break it down. And like you said, you always give like, fact behind it, like, especially yeah. Coach Westhoff. He's excellent by yep. saying here's X's and O's or rate is that. And even like Eric Coleman, Chad Cabin, they all give like, – they're speaking from experience. Like, the best thing yep. with Eric Coleman was, like, it, like, in the secondary play, Eric Coleman point things out, like, why are you doing this, Rex? Why are you doing this, yes. Dennis Thurman? And it makes you appreciate it even more, like, okay, we're, as fans, we think we see things wrong, and you guys think it's the next level makes it even better. 
Yeah, ab- abs. You know, and he, you know, Eric even he made a great point one time when he he and it was something I thought was really interesting. If you remember in the Woody Johnson news conference, he made the same point that Eric made, and it was, hey, look, at, at sometimes you've got to understand that your personnel is not up to par. You got to change. Rex was not a guy like that. He felt his system was so good he could put me and you out on an island and we could cover. And you can't do that if you don't have players. And Rex just felt like, ah, I'm not going to play cover two. I'm not going to give that safety over the top. I need my guys to play on an island. And I want to blitz and, and do these types. You know what? He just didn't have the horses to do it. And if you remember, Woody Johnson even said in that news conference, you know what? Sometimes you need to adjust. And I didn't see a lot of adjusting uh, when it came to in-game situations. And with this next coach and this next regime, I want to see that. And I think that was one of the things he was talking. And it was something I remember Eric brought up specifically uh, during one of our broadcasts. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Another reason why I think Rex isn't around anymore. No, I agree. And like I said, a lot of times we you know we all watch watch your your show, and then you know, we do shows on Tuesday, and the same points are always brought up. And it's just like, and a lot of times you guys are referenced. Like Coach Westall said this, you said that. It's it's just it's quality information. And I agree with you. Like we sit there, you know, the first half of the game, the Jets are playing well, and then it's like you always have to think, what are the halftime adjustments? And you just shake your head. Right. You're like, based on history, there's not going to be any. And we just knew it. Right. They'd, be, they'd be minor as opposed to major ones on the other side of the team, uh, other yes. field. So it's. You know, it, it's it's hopefully it, it changes in the air. Hopefully, they get quality hires in place. Do you have any? Do you have any feel? I mean, Doug Marone's getting bashed everywhere you go. Do you have any feel of who like a favorite in the, in in line is right now or no? You know, you know that it's a it's a great question because I know a, a lot of people had um, talked about. Well, look at some of these guys who have turned them down, and it's not a position or it's not a job that people want. I kind of disagree with that. I mean, it is New York. I think it is high profile. And I think for any guy, whether you're a GM or a coach, you want to come in there and say, oh, yeah, I'm the guy who changed the culture. I'm the guy who turned that franchise around, and I did it in New York. So I do think um, it is an appealing job. I just think that what happened with four of the guys, I think it was Peyton, uh, DaCosta, uh, Pace, and Ballard, those were the guys who turned down uh, offers to be interviewed for GM. From my understanding, hearing it, a couple of guys did it because they got promotions. Um, yep. I think Peyton got uh, got a promotion to stay in Minnesota. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, uh, I think Pace got a promotion. The other two, from my understanding, Ballard and DeCosta was more of – the living, the lifestyle. I don't know if I want to live on the East Coast. I don't know if I want to bring my kids. I think Ballard out of KC, I know for sure, had five kids and didn't want to uh, move them away. So I think it is an appealable job. Who? That's a great question. I wish I knew because, hey, look, I'd love to be breaking that news right now. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think it, it's an appealable one. It's, uh, the good thing is that you do know that you've got Ron Wolf and you've got football guys casually um, in there, in Woody's ear, as opposed to just some Wall Street firm looking at resumes. No, I agree. Marone, That's a great point. You, huh? you did ask me about Marone. Hey, look, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I know there's a lot of Syracuse guys around here. So they're like, hey, Doug Marone is the man. Go get him. I just think he's a regular guy. I, you know, I just think he's a regular guy. Um, you know, if they if they get him, okay, 
I'd, I'd like to see. I mean, he didn't turn the world on fire to be with Buffalo. Uh, they were a lot more competitive, yes. But heck, I mean, they they had the, one of the best defensive lines in football, and they had that even before Doug Marone. So you know, I, I I just I'm not as giddy about Doug Marone as maybe maybe some Syracuse people are, but I don't think he's as bad as some are saying. I just think he's just he's just the guy. No, I agree. I think I think he's just an average coach that's getting far too much attention at this point. Right. Um, Who's got a great agent? (laughs) Who's got a great agent to get paid four million to opt out? You know what I mean? Yeah, I need that job. Um, you, you, made, right. you made two good. You, you made two really good points. And the first thing is, you know, the Jets. That you know, there's this notion that it's not a good job to have. But you know what? If you have fifty million dollars in cap space, you know, you have a you know, top six draft pick. I mean, you have wiggle room to do things. So there's a tremendous opportunity there. And the other thing, it's just it's it's funny that you said that. It's a really good point because I think it gets beat around too much where it's that. And the, the the other point was the media perspective that you know people are turning down the Jets. And as you mentioned, you know, like Elliot Wolf got promoted in Green Bay. These guys aren't just turning down the Jets; they're turning down everybody that that's tra- asking for permission to talk to them. So it's not like yeah. oh, it's just the Jets. Everybody hates them. It's like you know what? I don't want to interview with any of you because either I got promoted or I like where I am. So it's just it's that negative connotation. that's kind of like, come on, man! Like, at least be fair about yes. it. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I I know for a fact, uh, and I was uh, reading the Baltimore paper. There were uh, a couple of teams that DaCosta turned out. So, as you just pointed out, and, and very a very good point, it wasn't just the Jets. That was not the only team that he turned down uh, to be interviewed with. So, I do think it's an appealable job. I just think because it is New York City, uh, and it is one of the, the great franchises of the National Football League, I know if I was a football guy, to me, that would get my juices revving that, you know what, ooh, I want to go to New York. I want to turn it around, and I want to be known as the guy who turned around the New York football Jets. To me, that would be appealing. No, I agree. I like. I think this, like, there's like an anti-New York sentiment sometimes that like, gets overwhelming, and I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, if you could win here, look at Rex Ryan when he was first here. He became yep. a megastar, so oh, I, I completely agree with you. Look, and and look, hey, Rex, if he was that bad, he wouldn't be getting interviewed now. I mean, heck, he's going out there, San Fran, he's going to Atlanta. You know, teams are are plucking and going after him because they saw what he did. Heck, they they looked at more what he did last year and said, man, he he squeezed eight wins out of that roster. This year he was doomed because his general manager didn't give him anything. Um, So, you know what? Good for him. You know, and I hope that he lands on his feet and gets another head coaching job, but I do think that this is one of the prime jobs in the National Football League. Hey, no arguments here, Brian. Brian, I want to thank you very much for joining us. I mean, if, for all those listening, you can follow Brian on Twitter at, at B Custard TV. And, Brian, is there anything else you want to share to, the, to our listeners, uh, any ways to contact you or to follow you? Yeah, that, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of times I'm on the road, too, doing boxing, so sometimes I don't get back to people at as quickly as I should, um, but uh, I, I do try to do that. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate everybody who watches this show because, you know what, we love doing it, and I cannot wait uh, until this franchise gets uh, on another magical run and gets a Super Bowl run because I want to be right there covering it. This fan base deserves it. Brian, I, I love you for saying that, man. Thank you so much for your time. We, we appreciate it, and we definitely watch your show because it's, it's always must-watch television. I appreciate you, man. Happy New Year to you guys. You too. Thank you, Brian. All right, everybody.
And we'll bring on our, our co-host now, Joe from Long Beach. And Joe, I mean, we started out with Crystal Presti, who shared some tremendous knowledge on the, the coaching and, and John Idzik, and then Brian gave us some phenomenal information on, on Woody Johnson. So first of all, how you doing, man, and what are some of your thoughts? Oh, hey, uh, thank you for having me on the show again. Uh, yeah, some of my thoughts, I, I totally agree with what you said about Doug Marone. Um, you know, I've I've always said that I think that Doug is just, you know, he's an average head coach. And uh, I think uh, one of my points that I want to talk about, Doug, is that I think a lot of people aren't really looking at some of the most important qualities in a coach as far as character. I always question Doug's character. He opted out on a team that was 9-7. and seven. The Bills aren't trash. And it starts to make you wonder, you know, what was, what was the real reasons? And when you read some of the reports, it was because, you know, Kyle Orton uh, retired and, you know, he didn't really like the trade for Sammy. Or for Sammy. Well, Sammy really helped that team win some games, first off. And then second off, you know, you were scared that you were coming back to E.J. Manuel. Well, you drafted E.J. Manuel. So if you can't coach him, what makes us believe that you can come in here and coach Geno or any other, you know, average? Because I think we're going to end up with an average to slightly above average if we uh, end up with Jay Cutler, but uh, maybe an average quarterback here. So why would we trust you? You know, some of that starts to kind of, playing the factors of how I think about Doug Marone. That's why I think he's just an average guy. Um, some of the things that he said about Woody Johnson being in the, you know, in the room with the player personnel meetings and not just that, but like, you know, the, the staff meetings about how coaching went. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily trust Woody to <laughs> tell the truth, but if that's what was going on, then, you know, I guess that kind of really does lend another, you know, uh, I guess pell in the water to, you know, Rex being gone as well if Rex didn't say anything, although I've heard other reports that Rex did say things and was still ignored anyway. So, you know, I just, I'm just glad that he, you know, also spoke about, you know, Woody bringing in guys and really listening to guys and listening to, you know, other people about going about our GM and coaching searches as well. No, and I, for me, like, and that's an interesting take from Brian because I never really, you know, I was always critical of Woody Johnson saying he was clueless. He needs to, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. He puts the football decisions in the hands of his his staff and he walks away. And to know that he's sitting in there and be like, you know what, he sees the product and like, this product is garbage. And now he's saying, let me find out why. And now he's doing some research on his own and he's saying, you know what, you know, like, like Brian said, the fact that he didn't know like D. Miller had an injury history, now he's going to find these things out and start questioning the decisions of the football guys. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's kind of checks and balances. I think, for me, that's a positive hearing that Woody recognized the problems, saw what they were. He reached out to Wolf and Casserly, and this process has been thorough, I mean, ridiculously thorough, which I'm really appreciative of. So, I mean, I think those are good things. And before we go into more, Joe, I'm going to bring on a caller. He's been holding on a while. We appreciate it. Um, Kyle, this this is Joe and Tyson. Let's talk Jets. Sorry for making you hold, man. We had on two very good guests that hopefully you learned some things from. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing good, man. What's uh, I see you want to talk about the coaches. The Jets are interviewing quite a few people between Frank Reich, Todd Bowles, you, Dan Quinn, Doug Maroon. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, first off, before I get to my uh, what I think the head coach should be. I'm just wondering if you have any idea why they didn't uh, request to interview McDaniels. I feel like he would have been a great fit. Oh, Josh McDaniels from New England? Yeah. That's a good question, man. There's a couple guys. Even I mean, Joe, uh, I mean, I was surprised they didn't ask for uh, Gaze either from Denver, Joe. What, what was your take on that? 
Yeah, I, I do not want Josh McDaniels. I've said that a thousand times. I think that's one of the things why we didn't bring in Josh McDaniels is his past. If you look at when he was with the Broncos, that guy is crazy. Like, he's crazy. And he blew the Broncos up. And I think that a lot of owners fear that he'll come in and do the same thing with their team. Um, Adam Gaze, I, you know, I think he's a solid guy. I don't see why we didn't necessarily bring him in. Um, some people may just think because, you know, he's got Peyton, so – that makes his scheme look a lot better than it is. They also question whether he can actually run an entire team and not just the offensive side. Um, so that those are some of the questions with them. But Josh McDaniels is a guy I don't want to have anything to do with. I wouldn't mind bringing uh, Gaze in and probably and possibly, you know, just giving him an interview and seeing what he's got. But those aren't guys that I'm just clamoring over to bring in, especially not Josh McDaniels. So, Kyle, is there is there a guy that you were hoping to get? Like, are you on the Dan Quinn bandwagon, or who is somebody that you're looking into? Uh, well, uh, I know a lot of people are on Dan Quinn's side, but after hearing Boomer Sison talk today, he talked really highly about Frank uh, Reich, and I, I'm starting to like him. He said that he's a great football mind. He thinks he has the ability to run a team, and I think that's something that we can uh, take, especially because he's uh, offensive-minded, too, on top of that. But it's his only it's his first year calling plays. So Joe, for me that's that's a concern. I, I understand he's getting you know, he gets the credit for helping Philip Rivers develop and, and the, the San Diego offense, but Joe, is this enough resume for you for Frank Reich or do you think maybe he needs another year like calling plays? What's your what's your take on that, Joe? Yeah, I think uh he just needs another year calling plays. Um there's been some like you said, you know, with the Philip Rivers development. But I, I, I kind of want to see a little bit more out of him. I mean, my, my whole look on our, on our GM and coaching, uh, you know, search as well, it's just let's get a guy in here that we know can, can you know, develop guys because that's what we're going to need and we know that, you know, have showed and proven to have a, a solid resume. So if there's a guy out there, you know, that has a little bit more experience or has a little bit more bit of a resume where you can see, okay, this guy was here from the ground or – this guy actually built this team or helped build this side of the football or whatever from ground from the ground up, and that's fine. You look at a guy like Todd Bowles, or you look at a guy like Dan Quinn, who was there when that defense wasn't, you know, didn't have all the talent that they have, and you saw him bring in pieces, and you saw his team be able to fit different guys in different places and do different things with them. Um, those are the kind of things that I want to see. I would again, I, my door is open to everyone, almost everyone except Jocelyn Daniels, uh, to bring them in and kind of hey, take a look at this, take a look at that. And, you know, if, if the guy sounds right and his plan and his and you believe in his plan and his scheme, then we should bring him in. But Frank is a guy that I think, you know, or um, is a guy that I think, you know, is could be a, a, a solid head coach here. But we just we just got to, you know, circle the wagons and give other guys time. There's no, no need for us to rush and, you know, hire a guy right now, right today, you know. No, I agree. And, and Kyle, is there anybody in terms of a general manager that you have your eye on? I mean, they they have a, a pretty strong list of candidates that all have extensive scouting backgrounds, personnel backgrounds. Is there anybody to piqued your interest? Oh yeah, I'm definitely excited that it's finally all personnel guys for once, and it's not like any cap guys because I'm way past that with Tannenbaum and Idzik. But uh, I think it all depends on like. In case they're high on, if they're really high on Quinn, I say just bring Kirshner from uh, Seattle. If not, then whichever uh, two they feel work the best. I don't really care whichever gets the job done. 
No, I, I agree with you. And it seems like you know a lot of these guys are being linked up together. I mean, I think you know, you know, Kirshner and Quinn. Then you have McCagnan and Maroon. It seems like everybody has kind of a take a, a kind of a guy they kind of you know prefer or they're kind of linked to. So it's it's definitely interesting. And then some of these guys, you know, are Wolf disciples. Some of them are Castley disciples. So it's I don't think it's going to be a, you know I think I'm hoping at this point it's going to be a quality hire. Do you have any before we let you go, Kyle? Do you have any final, final predictions of who the head coach is going to be? Uh, I think it's going to end up being Dan Quinn, personally. But the only problem with that is we have to wait longer, which is frustrating. But it's all right. Cool. Kyle, I want to thank you very much. Well, first of all, thank you for holding and listening to our show. And uh, thank you for calling in, man. We definitely appreciate it. No problem, man. And just one more thing. I just wanted yep. to uh, give a shout-out to, like, the Fire Dynasty people. I think they did a great job. But I challenge them to one more thing, and that's to create a suck for uh, trade up for the duck campaign. I think if Woody, li- I mean Woody, definitely listened to that a little bit. So I think doing that it might work a little bit. We need a quarterback. Hey, you never know, man. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Kyle. All right, bye. We got a got a, a Marcus Mariota fan there, which is interesting. <laughs> so Joe, we'll we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll go back to. I mean, not talk about actually, and uh, you know, it's. The head coaching thing, and it's just, you know, you know Crystal Presley shared some great insight on, on Rex and John Idzik, and you know, Brian did as well. He shared, you know, it's like the one thing is, though, it's just the replacing Rex Ryan, just his personality, his presence, I think is going to be a, a pretty significant change for everybody, you know, us and the media included. I mean, don't you agree? Because it's like he would, he's the face of the franchise. So now it's like if you bring in, like, a guy that, say, Dan Quinn, say he's stern, and say he's like a Mangini kind of guy, everybody's like, man, we're so used to, like, these crazy bows and this and that, and now it's like we're getting vanilla, vanilla ice cream. I mean, is it going to be a tough a tough transition, do you think, or no? No, I don't think it's going to be a tough transition. I think that there's, you know, there's different coaching styles, different ways to, uh, you know, kind of deal with the media. I think as long as the guy is a motivator, because, again, there's different ways to motivate players, there's different type of personalities. You look at a guy like Tony Dungy when he was in the league, uh, he was a coach that, you know, I mean, he, he was a great coach, and he found his way to motivate his players. He wasn't loud. He wasn't rambunctious. And from what I, from what I, all the reports I ever read about him, he barely yelled. But if he talked to you in a certain tone, you you understood what he meant, and you did exactly what he told you to do. Um, as long as this guy is able to get guys on the field uh, to do what they need to do to, for this team to be successful, that's all that matters. Um, as far as your handling of the media, as long as you're straightforward. Um, and you do what's necessary, then then that's fine. But you know, I think one one aspect that may leave, uh, you know, with no loudness and no rambunctiousness is the whole that whole circus where they feel like they can get things out of a coach because you are loud, because you are rambunctious. Kind of the the attention you bring to yourself, uh, that that part may go away. Some of the some of the like you know, Rex used to trash talk, just like uh, you know, a guy said Rex used to trash talk to me, and that was that. If that goes away, there's no more stories. Stories don't write themselves anymore. So, you know that that may be you know something that goes away, and that may you know fluster the media. But now it's time for you know guys to actually do their jobs and write articles that actually you know <laughs> are articles that they wrote based off of facts and not just you know just something that's already just handed to them. No, and, I, and that's that's an important thing, and I think you know, and, and Brian touched on this is an excellent point. It's like if you roll out a firm plan, like if your general manager mm-hmm. when you hello hello.
Hello? Yes, Joe. <laughs> yes, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you, man. You're good. I'm sorry, say it again. I'm, I got lost. I couldn't hear anything you said. No, I'm just saying, if you have a general manager in place that has a firm plan that he rolls out yeah. and it makes sense, and you could see it where you're drafting offensive linemen, you're putting pieces in place where it makes sense and it's justified, and you have a head coach that comes out and he, he's they, – they, they, they're not – it's no nonsense. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. If you don't like it, we don't care. It's our plan. And you don't, you don't stray from the plan. You don't, you're not reactionary. You're proactive. You know what I mean? It's like if you put that mm-hmm. in place, the fan base will appreciate it, and there's no issues. Yeah, and, and that was another thing that I agreed with when he talked about John Isaac and how John Isaac was hired. I, I came on here multiple times. I was the guy that told you he was the guy that got the coffee for the guys that got the coffee, and that's exactly who he was. Um, and I think that he never really had a plan. And I think that that's where him and Rex really butted heads, especially with the fact that, like like you said, you know, he didn't get Rex any talent. And it he had struggled, you know, even with – and another thing he said that I kind of not took issue with, I agreed with, uh, was the fact that Rex didn't adjust. Well, even with Rex not adjusting, we have the number seventh overall defense. I don't think Rex necessarily needed to adjust much more than he already had. Um, I think our offense needed, needed to produce, and that was something that, I, you know, wasn't necessarily out of Rex's hands, but, you know, with with him dealing with that, you know, with defense and dealing with what he had to deal with on that side of the ball, it's like, you know, where does the blame go on Marty Morningwig? And maybe, you know, the fact that Marty's not going to be here anymore is, you know, he's gone, so that's not, that's I guess that's blame enough. That's an indictment on him. But, you know, I think Rex did all they could, and, you know, when you get strapped with a general manager like John, you know, there, there there isn't much that you can do. You're pretty much doomed, you know. But, you know, moving forward, hopefully we can fix all those things. Yeah, no, I agree. And, see, now, we, you know, there's there's a bunch of candidates out there, and, you know, I, I like some of them. And I think, you know, when you have a coordinator, it's an unknown. We could say he's got a great resume, and he could be a complete clown when he's teaching, you know, when he's, when he's trying to lead a team. Or he could be a somewhat unproven coordinator. He could be a phenomenal head coach. We have no idea. You know, and the one name that came up today, and, you know, I, I took the time to listen to Mike Francesa's show, which I usually don't do, and he brought up some really good points about Todd Bowles. And, you know, Todd Bowles, everybody's saying, you know, the, the Arizona defense, they gave up passing, they, you, know, they, they, you know, they had a lot of talent, but Rex Ryan's secondary is better and all this other stuff. You know, I don't want to get caught up in stats. I want to know about the, the you know, the, the coach that he is, his, you know, his discipline, his leadership. And if you look at Todd Bowles' resume, I mean, he obviously played safety. He's a defensive back coach. He's an inner head coach. He's the assistant head coach in Miami, which is kind of interesting. And now he's a defensive coordinator, and he's obviously a Parcells disciple. You know, he's got a very strong resume. Um, you know, Francesca was raving about him, which obviously he's got ties to Parcells. I mean, he has links to him, obviously. But what's your take on Bowles? I think Bowles is an excellent <laughs> defensive coordinator. I think he's awesome. Um, I think he's a disciplinarian guy, a guy that I know for, you know, just reading some of the reports on him as well, he's a guy that pays a lot of attention to detail. He's a guy that's very much about development, um, very much about being where you are when you need to be there, accountability. I think he would make a great head coach. Um, I don't know about, uh, again, with, with just like, uh, uh, you know, the guy said when he was when he was on here about the fact that, you know, does he have the connections to get an offensive coordinator here that could be innovative? I think that that's another thing we have to look at as well when we when we talk about Dan Quinn and we talk about Ty Bowles. Uh, what about the offensive side of the ball? Because we can bring another guy in here that knows everything about defense and be stuck with, 
you know, some, you know, whatever kind of coordinator or offensive coordinator that's not going to necessarily get the job done on that side of the ball and be in the exact same position that we were, you know, this year or the year before that. Um, but I think that they're – I think he's a great head coaching candidate, and I love his resume, and I love the fact that he's been there and, and built – uh, and built there and got them to where they are now. I mean, you watch them in the playoffs, you know, this week in the long call round, they looked excellent on defense. It was it was the other side of the ball that was the problem. So I, I think that he's a great candidate. And I, 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 I really do hope that we get him or, or Quinn, but I'm, I'm definitely shooting for him as well. Yeah, I, like I was, you know, you start doing like research on these candidates, and you're like, all right, you know, this, and like I really didn't take him seriously. I Man, I took him serious, but I started looking more into him, and I was quite impressed. My question for you on Dan Quinn is this: Everybody is praising him for his defensive prowess, the Seattle defense, the Legion of Boom, and all these things. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator at the University of Florida. I understand that. You know, he's got a, a defensive line coach resume. What if I give you this argument, Joe? Dan Quinn took Gus Bradley's defense and just t- tinkered it a little bit. Is that, I mean, what is your comeback? I mean, he's getting a lot of credit for the Seattle defense, but is it, I mean, he made some modifications, but is it his defense or Gus Bradley's defense? I mean, is he, is he almost getting too much credit and too much acknowledgement at this point? Well, no, I don't think he's getting too much acknowledgement at this point because that, that's almost like the same argument that people have. Well, you know, Rex Ryan took, Mangini's players and well, if Rex Ryan went further than Mangini's players, then doesn't that mean that Rex Ryan's a better coach? If if Dan Quinn is getting you know quality production out of these guys, where he's drawing up, he's the one drawing up the game plan week in and week out. He's the one making the adjustments. He's the one doing all these things. So if he's and not not just that, he's also the guy that's motivating these players to play. That's that's what makes a really good coordinator. He's doing everything that he needs to do to get these guys to be accountable, to pay attention to detail, and to draw up places and be where they need to be on that defense and make plays. So if he's the guy that's making plays and he's the guy that, that's, you know, having these guys make those plays, then he's doing what he needs to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, that is just the defense he's made some, some adjustments and he's done some things, but he's coaching it his way, and, and that's – it's working. So I want a guy to bring a guy in here that, that it's working. I don't care – you know, who may have drawn up the original plan, if you were able to look at that plan and get it and tweak it, because he's not the only coach that's done that in the league. There's, there's tons of systems that have been out there that other guys have gotten and they've tweaked a little bit, put their little, you know, niche on, and it's worked. So if he's a guy that has a scheme that works, and not only it works, but we've seen him win with it, win the big one with it as well, then let's bring him in here. That's a fair point. I was just trying to get play devil's advocate and see what you thought. Oh, yeah. You know, but, but I, I guess the, the question that we I asked both these guys before you was, you know, is there any concern? And I, I understand a lot of teams are doing this, which you know, Crystal Presley mentioned and Brian did as well. Is you know, is there any concern that you're bringing in a first-time GM who's got to kind of get his staff together and figure things out, and a first-time head coach? So, you know, ideally you'd hope you can get a proven general manager in place, but that's not easy to do. And you'd love to get a proven head coach, which unless you like Kubiak or Doug Marone, that's not going to happen. So do you have any concerns of two brand-new guys both learning on the job? Absolutely. Absolutely do. And that's why I would I, – I, well, I wouldn't say two first-time guys as long as they're guys that have, have been in a system like – you know, have 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 done things from every single level. If you look at like Eric DaCosta, I know he's not going to come here. We all know he's going to stay where he's at. But Eric has been, you know, an instrumental part there on, on that in that front office, drafting guys, scouting guys. 
He's been everywhere that Ozzy has been. He's been there right along with him. He's been learning. So as long as we can get a guy like that, uh, that, that you know, it's not just like, like how we got John. It was his first time, you know, necessarily being really in charge of, of, of getting personnel in here. It was his first time doing that. No, as long as it's the guy's first time, you know, here as an actual general manager doing something. But if he's done it in his past and he has a resume that states that as well, then I'm okay with that. Um, getting a new head coach in here, getting a guy with a fresh perspective, uh, you know, like like the guy said only here, a lot of those guys usually become average head coaches. They usually don't fail or bust out. Um, but, you know, I, I would rather have a general manager in here who's done it before, but, you know, the, the way that it's looking or some, even, even some of the, the head candidates, like a guy that I like is Duke Tobin. You know, he'd be a new guy to bring in here, um, but he's a proven guy, a guy that's done, done everything at this level. He's gotten guys in here for the Bengals. He's, he's dealt with drafts and he's dealt with, you know, uh, dealing with free agents as well and scouting and rating guys. So I don't have a problem with that as far as the first time head coach, um, you well, know, actually, Joe. But, uh, actually, before before you, before you, before you even go into that, you know, it, it's the one thing about about a first time general manager, and like say like the the, the background of the guys you have now, like say um, you know, is he's the director of college scouting. You know, Kirchner mm-hmm. is a director of pro personnel. I think if, if you get a first time GM in place, I think it's essential to have a very strong personnel guy next to you as well. I mean, I'm, you're, exactly. I'm, I'm assuming they're gonna have they're gonna have a cap guy in place, whoever it is. I mean. Not that there are a dime a dozen, but I think you can get a good cap guy. But I think you. Times more easier. If the GM comes in and says, you know what, I got the personnel guys. I just want some support guys next to me to do cap and stuff. I think that's where he possibly could have some problems. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, You know, it's just. I just look at it like as long as we can get a guy in here that just knows what he's doing. Um, like you said, I hope they already have a cap guy in place. Um, getting a guy in here that necessarily knows uh, the personnel, as you stated as well, is, is extremely important. Um, and, and that's why I believe that it's, it's it's vital for us to get a GM in here before we hire a coach. I know that there was a lot of different talks as well about us uh, getting Marone uh, and hiring him before we even hired a GM, and I think that's totally backwards. Um, I think we need to go after a GM, a guy that has a player personnel guy, as you said as well, a guy that already has a cap guy in place, a guy that already knows what he's doing, and bring him in here and hire him first. But I, I pretty, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Yeah, and then, and then like the head coach, I didn't want to go into that, and I think, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but if if you go a defensive route with a you know a Bowles or a Quinn, I mean, you really really need a strong offensive staff put together. And the other thing is, and it's something Brian Custer mentioned as well, is, dude, special teams. you got to get a proven special teams guy in here as well. I mean, there's three facets to the game. And let's be honest, you know, the, the, the last the last facet, special teams, has been disappointing the last two years. Yeah, it's been terrible. Um, and I was mind blown when they said, our, you know, our former special teams coach left his book and basically gave the guy a game plan and said, hey, look, this is what these guys like to do, and this is what these guys like to do, and they didn't even use it. I mean, that that's just crazy to me. And to see our special teams be as, as abysmal as it was, it was just, it was just mind-boggling. Yeah, that that was a, that was an interesting nugget there. I was like, wow, it's like you know, it's just like you're giving you're giving kind of a blueprint to help out, and then if you don't, it's just like, come on, man, like that's a, a sense of arrogance that's that's somewhat surprising. So, you know, um, you know, is there any going into this? Is there anybody you're looking for as a, as a general manager 
um, that's kind of sticking out to you? I mean, the one guy that stuck out to me is McCagnan, the uh, Houston, Texas, uh, Houston Texans director of college scouting. He's got an extensive background in terms of personnel. Or personnel. But uh, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, McCagnan would be a nice selection. Um, I, and I said it. I said it once, and I said it before. I said it on the last podcast. I like Du Tobin a lot. Uh, the guy that I spoke about with the Packers, uh, he ended up getting a, a, a raise, and he ended up getting another position within the Packers as well, so he's not going anywhere. Um, but Duke Tobin is a guy that I definitely think can build here. Um, he's a guy that's been instrumental in a lot of their pickups and their depth as well. Um, and getting guys, you know, getting guys on the cheap too. A lot of guys that, you know, he brought in and he signed for very low numbers, and they were able to reduce uh, with the Bengals. So that's a guy that I'm looking for, Duke Tobin. Yeah, and it, you know it's 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 funny because once these teams start to lose, you you wonder to see who's going to get contacted. You know, was it going to be you know Todd Haley or like, Duke Tobin's another guy that if you look at the, what he's done with it, you know with his resources, it's been it's been pretty impressive. So, um, with that being said, we're going to bring on our next caller who is our good friend and this guy Joe. I'm talking about passionate fans. You cannot ask for more passionate fans than this guy who is. He did some bold statements over the last three months. This is Hank from State College. Hank, this is Joe and Tyson. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really enjoying the show tonight. You know, I heard some great stuff from the from you guys, and plus from the two interviews that you did. And uh, I mean, me, I, I'm still looking at Gary Kubiak. I mean, this guy, he, he won three Super Bowls. You know, with with the 49ers and with Denver, both as an assistant coach, quarterbacks coach. And uh, he, he didn't do too bad of a job in Houston. I mean, there was a, he was bad last year, but I think that has a lot to say about the quarterback play. But I think he could come in here and I think he could de- develop, you know, a, a really good quarterback no matter who it is. See, and, and my take, is, and it's funny you mentioned this guy because I, I was kind of high on him, and I, I think – his career went as Matt Schaub's career went. He did well when Schaub was playing okay, and when Schaub went to the tank, his team went along with it. I mean, he was surrounded. I mean, Joe, if you look at his defense, I mean, he had some you know, good defensive players, Arian Foster. You know, he, on the offense, he had some studs. Joe, what's your take? Before I share my take on Kubiak, what's your take, Joe? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Gary Kubiak is a guy that I look at and I say, you know, he was around. He had a lot of talent on that team. A lot of yep. talent, and they failed to even make the playoffs for a couple of years. Um, and so, I, I don't think he was necessarily a bad head coach, but I don't think that's the guy you know that I would like to bring in here. Especially, you have guys you know like Todd Bowles and like like we spoke about like Dan Quinn, and we have all these options. Is that a guy we can keep on the back burner just in case you know we don't end up you know getting this play or getting in you know a guy of of a higher caliber? Sure, but I don't I don't necessarily think Gary Kubiak would be the answer. I know that. You know, a lot of people like him because he's dealt with the offensive side of the ball as well. But I don't think he's necessarily a number one candidate, at least in my eyes, for our our head coaching position. Hank, uh, Hank, as a coach, do you are you looking for more of the known as opposed to the unknown? Like saying, like you know, the Kubiak's been a head coach. You've seen it. You've seen his resume, which you know has some blips on it, no doubt. As opposed to the unknown, which is bringing in a coordinator and not knowing what they bring to the table. You mean, you, you know, Todd Bowles could be a genius or he could be a clown. You know, Quinn could be a genius or he could be a complete bust. I mean, is that what your preference is? Is going with the known? But, yeah, and I, I want to go with an offensive guy who's actually played the game. You know, Kubiak's play. I mean, he was a backup. You know, career backup for John Elway. Frank Reich was a career backup for. 
for for Jim Kelly. But it, you know, he played on a few different teams. He played here in New York. You know, he was on a really bad team, but he he played. And these are the guys that you know I want as offensive guys in here that actually know something about the game. They know the passion of the game. They know what it's all about. They know what it's like to lose as a player and to win as a player as, as well. Probably meet your resume now. Let's, I didn't get that. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Todd Bowles. You know, he played eight years as a safety in the NFL. I mean, would that wouldn't that meet your resume? Sure, sure. No, sure it does. I like Todd Bowles. I'm just, I'm just geared to, to more of war uh, towards a, an offensive coach, an offensive-minded coach, and that that that's what I want. Well, my my question about bringing an offensive mind in here is, and this is something that uh, one of the guys that, that we interviewed earlier talked about as well. Bringing an offensive-minded guy in here, and I understand a lot of fans say the same thing too. My, my thing about that is, if you look at our team and the way it's built, what kind of offensive mind could you really bring in here that would succeed, like from day one? You know, we, we don't have a we don't have a quarterback right now. Our team is necessarily built to throw the ball all around. I understand that's the kind of offense you want to see, but if if a guy like say if we hire Todd Bowles, a guy like Todd Bowles comes in here, if he brings in an offensive coordinator that knows what he's doing, that's innovative, that can call plays, we would get the exact same thing out of that. Just because our offense isn't great doesn't mean that we have to bring in an offensive-minded head coach. It just means you need a better coordinator. I talked about this the last time I was on this podcast. If if you look at, um, you know, for instance, the Chicago Bears, they fired Lovey Smith, they brought in Mark Tressman. How did that work out? Be careful what you wish for. Don't always think because the guy's an offensive mind that he's going to come in here and just do what it does, you know, make the offense just the best that it, it could ever be. Um, you, can bring in a, you can bring in an offensive mind. Uh, as a coordinator, he'll do just fine. Sean Payton did the exact same thing. He's an offensive-minded guy. On the flip side of the ball, his defense sucks. You give him a defensive coordinator, that works too. It, he doesn't have to be a, a defensive mind or an offensive mind to make that side of the ball better, to make that team better. You can bring in a guy like Todd Bowles, he could bring in an offensive coordinator that may not even be known. You know, it could be whoever. And that guy could get these guys to play on the offensive side of the ball and make things work. You don't always have to bring in an offensive-minded head coach. Oh, no, I agree with you. I mean, yeah. myself, I'm a defensive coach. I was always mm-hmm. a defensive player. So, uh, you know, I know where you're going with that. It's just I like these guys, Frank Reich and Gary Kubiak, more for the that – They've played on Super Bowl teams and they've lost. You know, they know what it's like to be at the pinnacle and lose. So, and, that, and Kubiak's been there, you know, as a coach and he's won as an assistant coach. So, I, you know, I just have more faith in, you know, the guys that have been at the top and, mm-hmm. that, you know, that they might be retreads. But, you know, look, look, at, the, look at the history of the retread. Belichick's a retread, you know. Mm-hmm. The other guy, New York Coughlin's a retread. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the last Super Bowl winning head coach is a retread, and he was here in New York. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Hank, I agree, Hank, I, I agree with you, man. I, you can make a very good case for you can make a very good case for you know a second time head coach. You can make a good case for coordinators. It, it's you know it's a it's, a, it's a, a chance either way. Is there any guys that caught your attention as a general manager? Uh, I like the guy 
down there in Houston, and you know, I, I'm still on a DaCosta thing. You know, you know what I do to get them. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I told you what they need to do to get him, and you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but we, we probably won't get him. And you know, at least Woody has people in place that know what a general manager is. He's not going to, you know, a temporary, you know, employment agency to find an accountant, you know, so I have a little bit more faith in Woody, not much, but. Yeah, I I mean, I, based on what we heard from, from both Chris Lepresti and Brian Custer tonight, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat encouraged. Maybe I'm drinking green Kool-Aid tonight or something. I have no idea, but I'm somewhat encouraged. And, uh, Hank, we want to thank you for calling in again, man. Hopefully within the next week we have some pieces in place and we can talk about some fun stuff next Tuesday. All right. Well, hey, me too. Uh, have a great week, guys. Take it easy. Well, you have a great week too, Hank. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny, Joe. Everybody has all these opinions, and now it's like you almost want at least a general manager to get hired. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what's do you have any do you have any before we wrap this up do you have any predictions as we go into this week do you have any you, are you going to take the the Todd, Todd Bowles tie to your name or what are you going to what's your final prediction for GM and and head coach as we head into the weekend? Oh GM, uh, I'm hoping like I said I hope we really I don't even know if we're bringing Duke in but I would really like us to to go after Duke. I, I don't really know too many of the GM candidates because names are just floating around but they haven't necessarily been confirmed, at least that I've read. Um, I'm hoping we do not get Doug Marone. I'm hoping we don't try him first. Um, I'd like to see us get Todd Bowles. I really would. Um, And I'm hoping that's who we end up with. But I'd like to see us sign a GM first. And if that guy's on his list, then that's fine, and we just build from there. But Todd Bowles is definitely a coach that I'd like to see in here. I I don't. I don't want us to end up with Doug Marone. Like I, I just think he's so average, and his character, to me, after leaving the Bills, is so in question. So in question. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of off the Doug Marone train. Like, I think the, the perfect word is average. He's an average quarterback, mm-hmm. or an average coach, and I'd rather take the, I'd rather take the unknown than just knowing the known of the average. Um, Frank Reich, to me, I know Boomer Sison shared a good story today, and there's there's a lot of feel good stories about it. One year as a play caller to me is concerning. I mean, I know that's not a big deal. Just for me, it's just like I wish he had more more hands-on experience of just being a coordinator. But, I mean, what what the hell do I know? I'm just a fan, you know. Um, <laughs> and I guess I'll, I'll give credit to, to Francesca because he kind of, like, opened my eyes to Todd Bowles, and I did more research on him. And between him and Quinn, I, I kind of like Bowles more, but I don't think either is a bad hire at this point. I think you know what you yeah. get with them. They're both disciplinarians. They're both respected. And then they're just going to be as good as the offensive staff they hire. You know what I mean? I think it's it's a good step. And the most important thing I think is having a great relationship with the general manager. Hopefully they're in sync. They're, you know, there's there's some kind of network of friendship there. I think that's going to be vital. Yeah, absolutely. And because and, I do not want to see what happened. You know, what Rex got stuck with when he ended up with John, and they were just butting heads left and right on personnel moves. I, I really think that's how we need to go forward clean house and do things the right way. No doubt. So, Joe, before I let you go, first of all, I want to thank you for joining me. You're, you're always great. We always get a lot of positive feedback of you. They, I think they like you more than like me at this point. Um, <laughs> give everybody your – they do. Joe, you should see that they're like, I love when Joe from Long Beach calls in. I'm like, this guy's, this guy's becoming a celebrity all of a sudden. Um, give everybody your uh, – your, 
give everybody your Twitter handle and uh, give out some information about your YouTube videos. <laughs> okay. I want to thank everybody that does say that. Thank you guys very much. You guys are awesome. I see your tweets. You guys tweeting. That's great. Um, my my YouTube is youngj00. Uh, my uh, Twitter is youngj00. Three zeros for my Twitter and two for my YouTube. I run a show where I, uh, you know, do picks for the week. It's always going to be one Jets game and two uh, random games. I'm continuing that all the way through the Super Bowl. I do Jets news as well. I've talked about our coaching search. I've talked about, you know, I've done a recap as well um, with a, a guy named Nick, uh, Nick Bros TV. Um, that's up as well. So definitely, you know, hit my channel, comment, rate, subscribe, tweet me, follow me. I tweet back to everyone that talks to me. I follow everybody that follows me. You want to talk about Jets, you want to troll me, you can go ahead and do that too because most of you do. Um, and I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody that talks to me as well. You guys are awesome. And thank you again for having me on the show. This show is always great. And thank you, Henry, as well. You're an awesome person. And you're just full of love tonight, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm a hug, free hugs for everybody, man. I love everybody. <laughs> Well, Joe, I, I want to thank you. Uh, I definitely want to thank Chris Lopresti from WFEN for joining us. He shared some tremendous knowledge. And Brian Custer as well uh, from you know, SNY. I mean, two great guests that hopefully everybody learned something from. I, I definitely got some great information out of them. Um, we'll both get back to all your tweets. We appreciate all the tweets. And sorry to get back to anybody tonight. It's just been a, a very busy night. But on behalf of Joe and Tyson, we'll both get, get back to you. We appreciate the support. We appreciate the listens. And, uh, We'll talk to you guys again next week, and hopefully, Joe, we have somebody in place here, man. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about, like, hire, hires now. Absolutely. The same thing I want to talk about. I'm just hoping we get the right guys in here. Come on, Woody. Get us a GM. Get us a solid coach, and let's move forward. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you next Tuesday, Joe. All right. See you. Thank you, man. Peace.